Shalom, everybody, and welcome to the Yishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from Jerusalem to the world. You're part of it wherever you are in Shalom, and welcome to the Land of Israel Network, a network with great sounds for you to hear about the incredible revelation, rededication, uh, reunion, rebirth of the Jewish people in the Land of Israel. I'm Yishai Fleischer, and today... I'm here at Pardes, Pardes Institute, Pardes.org.il, and I'm here with Rabbi Mike Foyer on Spiritual Cafe. Rabbi Mike, shalom. Shalom, Yishai, and welcome. Yes, I am so happy to be here with you here today. You know, uh, last week we were a tad remiss. Yes, we were a tad remiss. What did we remiss? We remissed uh, Tu Bishvat. Oh. Yeah, we, we, we like, I like it, it was Thursday, and, and Tu Bishvat this year was on Shabbat, and, and we just didn't talk about it, and I was like, <gasps> Because because Tu Bishvat is actually one of my favorite and most important days in the calendar. It's the day that you pray for the etrog. According to Kabbalah, you pray for your etrog. And I'm like, we all need an etrog, right? We all need the physical etrog, but we all have something in our life that we want to be perfect. We want our kids' education to be perfect. We want you know a home, a life, a health, or whatever it is. We've got to pray for that etrog. And I forgot to talk about that. Mm. And also, one of the, one of the reasons why I think that Tu Bishvat was like the favorite of the Kabbalists in the 16th century in Tzfat was because what we're asking for is, uh, is a rebirth of our roots here in the land of Israel, a kind of deep rooting in the land. We're just, they, were, they were the harbinger, har, harbingers of... Harbinger. Har, harbingers, thank you. <laughs> reading and not speaking. <laughs> they were the harbingers of, um, of a new era of the Jewish people's return to the land of Israel, and, and they were praying for this... For this, for the seed to take root back in the land, uh, in order to celebrate Tu Bishvat this year properly, many years I've done all kinds of events. This year was on Shabbat. Uh, we went to my sister's house in the Golan Heights. Oh. Went to the Golan Heights, and and there was lemon trees there, and I mean that is that volcanic soil. So rich. So rich, and you could still feel like og walking around there. Fee fi fo fum. It's a certain scale of life. <laughs> He's huge. Yeah, he was huge. Huge. He was huge, and and uh, that was good. And then I want to tell you, speaking of huge, uh, on Sunday, which was still a shtickle to uh, to Oh, it's also the halfway point. It's six months till to Be'av. so it's yes. always our half anniversary, and it's also um, it's also two uh, poles on the cal- on the on the on the year's calendar calendar of the year in that like one is the beginning of summer period and one is the beginning of winter period like on the yin yang thing it's like half and half it's like to be you mean the midpoint of the winter period mid- N- no to be begins oh, moving toward the summer. summer it's the shift toward right shift towards summer and that's the shift towards winter okay. and then they, they have that in any ga- any case on sunday i took my kids to the hermon oh and they play in the snow they played in the snow uh, we went up on the uh, chairlift. Chairlift, Rachbal, they call it here in Israel. It was it was awesome. Have you? Do you ever go to the Hermon? I took my kids a couple years ago to play in the snow. Uh huh. I, I find the Hermon to be awesome. This huge mountain range on the Lebanon, you know, and just this this white, majestic, powerful like, and it just it just rushes out of the earth. So yeah, it's a volcano. S- it's wild. It's so wild. I love being there. Yes. And, and its images are, are huge. Anyway, that's Tubishvat. What do you think about Tubishvat? You got you got Tubishvat. I know that your community a lot of times they do they do Tubishvat Seder. Yeah, you know the funny thing is personally Tubishvat is not the 
most moving time for me. I have a theory that there needs to be something that everybody doesn't do. Yeah, but is, um, aren't you the earthy geologist dude? Yeah, I know. I get that. this. Don't you teach your yeah, Fridays trust and all me, that? Yeah. But nevertheless, I have a theory that there has to be something that everybody doesn't do. Right. And so since there's nothing obligatory about Tubish Fight, I've chosen to keep that as my range of what I don't do because the things <laughs> that I'm obligated to do, I'm pretty focused on. But nevertheless, the image that does speak to me is, um, you know, Tubish Fight, its roots... <laughs> are in are in the Mishnah and the idea that this is the new year of the trees. That's where it comes from. And why would this be the new year of the trees? I mean, despite the Zionist wonderful tradition of going out and planting, you you ask an agronomist or an ecologist to tell you this is a, not a good time to plant trees. People, what's happening in nature right now is that the sap is rising, right? And and that what mean, does that mean? That is is, is the physical embodiment of the turning point which you discuss, of which the Kabbalists and Svat is, in my opinion, why they connect to it, is that, that you know, the time of flowering is still well ahead. You, you look around, most trees, except, of course, for the almond tree, the Shkadia, right, are, are, there's nothing, there's not even buds on the leaves. But nevertheless, there is that quickening of life, of the drawing up from the ground into the trunk, which is going to ultimately produce that flowering. And I feel that that is precisely what the Kabbalists of Svat in the 16th century were, you know, I mean, if you look numerically, there was a, a handful of people, and yet if you trace where we are now, in my opinion, it really began there. Really began there in that sense that redemption is coming, and and that we have to act. That it's no longer something we talk about, we dream about, that we that we pray for. No, we're going to start to do things to make it happen because they already felt that sort of ineffable divine quickening that was going to give flower to where we're sitting today. And their f- their feeling of it is also another expression of saying that God felt it. Of course, and it's like God sent down that that consciousness, and it's Him that's calling us back home through different pings, different different uh, messages. And that first major ping was out of Tzfat uh, from those Kabbalists with the Arizal, and and not to mention, of course, the the, the great Kabbalist slash great halachicist, the Mechaber Rav Yosef Karo. Sure. I, 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 it's kind of hard to imagine because it's the, it's the heart and soul of what mysticism is in Judaism is it's a sensitivity to the divine will as it unfolds in creation. And so for them, they actually were so sensitized that they felt that divine will rising before it would ever flower. And we often speak here in the show that, that um, you know, if my grandparents or my great grandparents could see this now, if I said to them, listen, if you want to get to the land of Israel, all you have to do is go to this office. They'll put you in a metal tube and fly you through the air and, and you know, help you build a home in Jerusalem. They'd say, when did the Mashiach come? And nobody told me. Right? So now the flower is here. You know, we have to think about what the fruits are going to be and how to, how to keep the project going. But just imagine the sensitivity to feel that most subtle quickening of life. We have to think about how to move the project forward. But at the same time, we are also channeling this big godly... Uh, process that's happening right Absolutely. now out there, and and uh, what what is obvious to me is that it's going to go on with or without us. It's it's huge. True. We can we can uh, you know do some course corrections and and send it in the right trajectory and hopefully in a better trajectory. We can make mistakes. For example, just for example, uh, this week a new Hamas chief uh, in Gaza was announced. Lo and behold, he's one of the people that were released in the Gilad Shalit deal. Yeah, I saw that. And and so Gilad and, and Shalit, and known as a radical, which I'm not sure what the range of opinion is there, really. But you, but known as a, a he, no, no. Meaning to say, if he's known as a radical, oh, Kalvachol man. I mean, if he's in Hamas, they're like, this guy's a radical. You know, what does that mean? Right. It's like we're ta- and this guy came out of Israeli jails. 
Yes. And is now the head of our enemies. There's there's something wrong yes. wrong about that. It's certainly not in the spirit of let's say uh, the book of Esther that after the the ten sons of Haman are killed. Afterwards, they're like hung, so everybody or hanged, to, so that everybody can, you know, see get the message. Get the message. Instead, we're like sending a message, like we brought one soldier out of Gaza. He shouldn't have fallen into that situation in the first place. Uh, we released a thousand bad guys. Many, uh, I think, at my count, more than ten Jews have already been murdered by those thousand. And now the chief of the next war against us is the guy that sat in our prisons. How did we get to that? Oh yeah, course correction. You can't you can't allow that kind of stuff to happen. You could stop that kind of stuff. But the major trajectory of the Jewish people's return to the land of Israel, it's really unstoppable. Yeah, it's just an incredible sense of growth and building with all the complexities and the and the challenges and the course correction that are that are needed. Uh, one of the reasons I love this time here, we're sitting here, it's been raining for a few days. Thank God. You know, I, I was actually um, at a funeral last night in the rain, which mm. is always very intense. Nighttime funerals in general are intense. But in and that's something that happens in Jerusalem. I just want you, people to know that you will probably not attend a nighttime funeral anywhere else true. in the Jewish tradition. Uh, but in Israel, in Yerushalayim, you don't keep a body overnight and you bury it at night. And then you get these like spooky... Uh, uh, funerals it was, at night. It was it was cinematic, right? I mean, right. like it, there was the only thing lacking was thunder and lightning. Um, but at the same time, this was a, a man in his mid eighties who's all of his all but one of his children are living here with grandchildren all around him. They he he had died in America and, and they brought his body to be buried here. And um, I had the merit of helping to carry um, to carry the stretcher on which his body lay as we brought him to his grave. And at a certain point, I because of the like narrowness of the spot, I end up stepping off the trail like kind of ankle deep in mud and it was just so earthy it was like yeah, rich yeah i still have the mud on my shoes right now i didn't really clean it off because i've been looking at it and like that's that's life he's gonna right. become part of this life right and he, and his children and grandchildren are already flowering here and and that's just it's an organic process that 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 needs to be tended like you said and 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 encouraged but it doesn't need we don't need to make it happen it is happening right so yesterday uh i was in hebron if you want to talk about roots in earth, in earth, I was in Hebron, Hebron, and that's where I work. And then from there, I drove to all the way to the Psagot Winery. Nice. The Psagot Winery is a wonderful place. Great wines, really award-winning wines, and 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 there's a beautiful visitor center there. Visitor center there with an o- with an overlook of vista over the mountains of Benjamin. And there, for the second year in a row, I emceed. Um, second time in a row, I emceed an event with Governor Mike Huckabee. Oh, wow. And some of the other speakers were, was Rabbi Avi Roe from, from Ofra, um, Rabbi Knesset member Yehuda Glick, uh, and a few other good folks. And I did the emceeing and a little bit of uh, in those music and all that. And the reason I'm mentioning this right now is because, yeah, I was spinning records. Um, the reason I mentioned this is because um, I was I was always and I'm always impressed with Governor Mike Huckabee. Just always impressed with him. Just he and I've seen him many times now in different things. I've spent even like a half a week with him on a bus. So I've 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 seen this man in action, and I'm always pretty impressed by his energy, by his command of both political issues and spiritual issues. His word usage, his his just, he's also the ability to be a politicker, to shake hands and to remember your name and all that kind of stuff. Just you know, I'm always impressed with that kind of caliber person. And the reason I mention that right now is because maybe in order to kind of create like an image in your head, uh, I think that that a Mike Huckabee is a little bit like a Jethro, 
Okay, I, I don't want to. I don't want to over. Don't write me an email saying Yishai, how dare you and all that. I'm not trying to over. You know, I'm not trying to over. You should write him the email. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not try, I'm trying to overstate the case, but I have this kind of feeling of that. Like if I if I look at a Huckabee, I look at a Jethro. I wish I would have remembered that last night. But in any case, like here's a man who's a pastor, a preacher, a leader, but he's obviously heard. He's at least heard something. He's heard the call of Zion, and 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 he's connected to it. Uh, Jeth. The reason I'm mentioning this is because the Torah portion today is Jethro, and uh, for this Shabbat, and Jethro. That's uh, one of the two Torah portions that's named after a Gentile, non-Jewish uh, uh, person, important person. Jethro on this uh, on this side of of the Torah, on the other side, at the end, it's it's Balak. And talks about the evil king Balak and and the evil prophet Bilam. Boom. Yeah, but <laughs> I see you're ready in the in the Purim spirit. <laughs> okay, that's what Tushbot means for by me. By the way, by the way, ne- we we have to also get ready for Purim a oh, little. We got we got to start getting er- early this year. I already started. I'm I'm there. I'm talking about for the show. I'm not talking about like drinking and stuff. I was talking about drinking. It's a spiritual <laughs> preparation. <laughs> no, you're right. So, any case, uh, Jethro, he is a guy who is on the one hand, he is Mo- Moses's father-in-law. He's also a person who was reputed to have tried every single. Idolatry. That's right. He was. He was not only that. He was like a a comer. A uh, he was a connoisseur of <laughs> idolatry. He wasn't just dil- dilly dallying and no. no. he was. He was truly a, a, gr- a great idolater of everything, <coughs> and basically kind of um, lost heart, lost faith in it all. You know, it, it, there's a powerful image there because we are heading toward in the heart of this parsha, the ultimate act of unity, in in Am Yisrael receiving the Torah. And and Yitro Jethro plays a, a critical role as kind of the the representative of nations of the world in that event, and so he is going from multiplicity to unity, meaning meaning there's there's nothing he has the sort of wholeness of multiplicity, so to speak. It's not that he hit the five top religions out there, and it's not that he you know in his youth he kind of got around and he worshipped a bunch of idols, right? No, it's that he actually reached the end of the fragmentation process that of looking for God in small places in little bits and and that sense of despair he had is that well, I don't get it I've actually seen everything I've seen it all and it's not here and then the message that he receives at sign that's because you were looking in the pieces and you missed the whole and there's a word that you're alluding to a specific word which which it actually says that vayichad yitro al he like he unified or understood it all as this kind of whole uh, and he like and the, the word is basically and and Jethro unified. Yes, it it all came together for him. It all came together, and interestingly, um, the, there's two things that specifically come together. One is the goodness which God did for the Jewish people, and that is specifically um, the Exodus from Egypt and the splitting of the Red Sea, and then he also says so. He says that, like I, I saw the greatness that God brought you out of Egypt. And the other thing, he says, Atayadati, I also know that God is great because of all the the the, the dark energies that pursued you, the, uh, because of all the things that tried to stop you. And specifically there, Rashi explains that it's really about the war with Amalek. Like, I, mm-hmm. all, like part of me recognizes that you Jews are the chosen people because you're awesome. You know, you're the startup nation. Right. It all worked out. And, and no one's ever out. gotten out of Egypt before and you all came out together. Wow. Yeah. Right? You, you, you did How'd a you wow. do that? You did a wow, okay? But then he's like, and also, if you, if you had Amalek pursue you, that's also a sign that you're something great. And it, it's, it's very polar opposites here. He, he, in other words, he recognizes 
the evil as a sign of God. Yes, because it goes right to the heart of that v'yichad, that he that it all came together for him. Because the once you dispense with the the little God version of, of Avodah which is really just an attempt to make God over in your own image. And that's the heart and soul of Avodah I take some piece of myself, my ecstatic, you know, sensory or sensual or my, my angry, wrathful, my fearful, whatever, whatever piece of it, you elevate it to a status and then you worship it, knowing that it's not the whole picture, but there's a lot of power. If you think about what it means to let yourself be consumed by one thing in your own, your, your anger, your joy, whatever it is. Right, but once you once you dispensed with the belief that that's everything there is, the only sort of <clears throat> challenge that really remains is the reality of evil. Meaning, the, the nevertheless, t- to say that there is only one God, the world is is broken. It's messy. There are bad people, and bad things happen. So, if you're going to tell me, Rabbi, that that there's only one God, well then. What about Amalek? Mm. What about these dark forces? And he understood that actually these dark forces exist. Of course, everything comes from God, including Amalek, including the evil, including the suffering. But the question is, what is it doing there? And the very fact that, that Yitro was able to see, ah, I get it. The real indication that you people are onto something is the fact that the evil is not running away from you. It's actually running straight toward you, right? It is taking you on directly. Because it's through that process with the engagement of the brokenness of the world, with the existence of evil, with the problem of suffering, that we become human beings and not just automatons. Right? That, that, that there is a meaningful creation. Because, of course, God is one, but you know what God wants? Relationship. And that's like the biggest divine dilemma, so to speak, as it were. That God, even in God's unity, desires relationship and in order to have relationship there has to be other in order to be other there must be some break there must be some barrier there must be something which separates us which not only in a sort of a theological sense of of how does one become two but in a meaningful sense because god doesn't just want other with you know he doesn't want a relationship with a dog or with a shoe or with a mirror or with a mirror he wants a relationship with a real person and you know what real people are messy you're married, you have kids, you have real friends for years and years, I'm sure. Real relationships are a product of investment, of challenge, of overcoming, of growth. And they're all founded on the same thing. Is that if I can accept that you exist on your own, even if I disagree with you, even if, 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 I, even if I might fight against you, but if I can accept the fact that, that you're not a product of my needs, then we can have a real relationship. Many, you, many years ago, I... I was uh, I was in a funny place in life, and I I flew down to Florida. I needed a break. I put like a very ridiculously low ticket price at Priceline, and I rented a car from like like the the silliest car rental place, like 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 Jalopy dot com or something. I don't know. And it was it was just ridiculous. Anyway, I was down in Florida. I was sleeping in my car. I didn't need more than that. I was happy. I was just traveling throughout Florida. And I'm driving, and I was driving fast down the highway, and I see somebody, like a, like a, a fine-looking person, gentleman, uh, trying to hitchhike, and I flew right past him, and I like slammed on the aisle, and then I like thought to myself, I'm on, vac- I'm on vacation, there's somebody else like me out here, you know, trying to get somewhere. I don't know. So I like slammed on the brakes, I reversed on the highway somewhere, and I, and I picked the guy up, and he turned out to be a, 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 capt- he turned out to be a, a ship's captain. 
And uh, he would pilot these ships for like rich people all over the world. And basically he didn't even own, he, he didn't even own a car and he would just get off at port and get to the airport and get to some house that he had somewhere anyway. So he, he told me a lot of wisdom. One of the things that I remember he told me was that I said to him something like, oh, I'd love to get married. You know, I need a wife to, to, to cook for me or something like that because I can't cook for myself or something. And he's like, no, you don't need anything. If you're marrying a person because you need something, that's not, that's not a relationship. Mm. Th- that's because you need something. That's, y- y- that's not really loving somebody. He's like, you don't need anything. You are totally self-sufficient. You want to marry somebody to share a life with, but it's not coming out of a place of like need. Nobody's going to fulfill a need for you. You, are totally, you. you can totally take care of yourself, certainly cook for yourself, and, and, and if you want to you know, share your life with somebody and give them love, that's a different story. I never forgot that, as you could see. <laughs> I was just like... Oh, it was like an. It was like a. You're right, you know, and it it completely changed my life trajectory. Because what it made was the model of relationship was about you need someone to give to, right? Because because like you said, if we see other people as an extension of our own needs, then they don't really exist on their own. Right. Whereas there is one way in which another person can exist, and you have a desire to give. Well, then there must be someone else. And it can't be the neediness. And this is where evil comes in. God doesn't want us sticking out our hands all the time. It's like, please, please, please. Look, I can't do anything on my own. He, so the greatness of God's gift is he created a world in which we could earn. Right? And then, we, and then what we receive from God actually becomes our own. And in the greatest gift God gives us is actually our independence. And so therefore, Amalek, who comes into the world to undermine meaning, truth light you know and it has different guises through history but what they really want to take away from you ironically in the modern world what they're offering is your independence right and, but but really what they want to take away is exactly that because the, the truth is to to be an uh, upright independent human being is to be embedded in a story of meaning not some false free agent because the reality is everybody serves somebody and if you look what amalek serves amalek serves the lowest side of the human being so, so I think this is why Yitro, when he saw that it was, that was the it, moment. It's exactly the opposite of detachment. Like, like, like Amalek believes in, uh, we believe in nothing. You know, they right. be, like, I don't believe in anything. And therefore, therefore, I'm not part of anything. And therefore, nothing is part of anything. Right. And everything is, is these pieces that you were talking about in the beginning. Everything is a bunch of pieces. And in fact, the whole world is just a random bunch of pieces. A meteor out of nowhere hit a pond and a thing, a lightning struck a pond. And everything is totally, you know, it's, it's an arbitrary world. And what's the opposite of that? Breed. It's connection, covenant. And that's what we're about. And that's why we here we are leaving Egypt. We have to go through that moment of Amalek. Because look, the reality is Egypt was the structure of meaning, not only for Am Yisrael, but for the world as a whole. It just got shattered. You might walk out of that shattering moment and say, wow, just like Egypt got shattered, we could get shattered. I mean, the truth is, I mean, the, this God that Moshe unleashed on Pharaoh, he could unleash on us. Well, somebody else could unleash him on Moshe. Like, it's just some, like, tremendous natural force so that's why the next step is no, no no now let's have a relationship and that's why there is this great gift mm-hmm. which to my tremendous sorrow is often perceived by people as narrowing human freedom and 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 human independence which is the gift of commandment right which is really what is a granting of of an independent existence in a way, which again, a little bit counterintuitive, but Yitro got it. He saw, oh, these forces of dissolution, these forces of disassociation, this force of darkness that wants to just take everything apart and pixelate it and make it into some meaningless fragment. That's what's coming after you? Wow. This was not just some startup 
nation moment. Right. This is something more fundamental. Right. It's not like a Jesse Owen awesome run or something like that. Right. It's like Which is beautiful in and of itself, but meaningless in any grand sense. I mean, right. meaningful for the individual. I don't mean to, to, to discount Jesse Owen. That's not my point. And he also dissed the Nazis. Well, but you that think was about awesome. that's a, It's a good example because Jesse Owen not only dissed the Nazis, but he, as, as a black man of his day, overcame inconceivable barriers to be, so that's where it's and but the fact that he ran from point a to point b that quickly was the vehicle for his meaning it right. wasn't the meaning itself um i think i also want to ask just about uh, maybe and we'll keep this short but but that that evil there's another side which is just evil does try to attack when goodness starts to speaking of tubishvat starts to flower starts to mm-hmm. come out of the soil it's like it's like there's a screech, a, a silent screech, like an e, like a like a yelling that happens when when Amalek senses that the Jewish people are coming home to the land of Israel, that we're coming together, that the world is moving towards perfection. Uh, there, there's a will to stop that here in Israel. You see that very much on the Temple Mount and all the holy places, especially. That's how I see it, anyway. I see that in, on spe- specifically the holy places: Hebron, the Tomb of Rachel, Temple Mount, Tomb of Joseph. Uh, and the whole story of the land of Israel in general, like there is an effort to com- to squelch that, to to subdue it, to to never let it kind of. Uh, and somebody explained to me in the Knesset, for example, he said to me that every time somebody gets up and starts making some kind of rah-rah speech, a Zionist, Jewish, pro-Israel speech, immediately the anti-Israel Knesset members, and in this case Arab ones. Uh, that belong to certain parties that are really anti- anti-Israel. I'm not saying every Arab is at all, but those Knesset members are. And they they will jump up and immediately try to take the disrupt. air out of that, disrupt right. that, take the air out of that excitement. Yes. That's the Amalek yes. way of doing things. Yeah, because to a certain degree, there's an element in which if you let the world rest at the level of knowledge, I can uh, analyze the situation and take it apart. This is where the postmodern world is right now. So Amalek makes perfect sense because the reality is... As, as we've seen, as postmodernism has, has grown and swelled, that from an intellectual standpoint, you can always argue both sides of an argument. And this is not new to the Jews. <laughs> this is not news to the Jews. But the, the reality is, and this is why we're now already doing our preparation for Purim, is that, is that that's only if you let yourself be trapped in a self-defined world. That's its own form of idolatry. Oh, you don't understand? Your knowledge can't grasp it? Great. But why, why would you assume that God is as small as you are? Right, and that's that ad yada, that point of knowledge, which is whose embarkation point is. You know what? I I, I can't know everything. Right, and 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 Amalek, especially Haman, one of his characteristic traits is is super haughtiness. For example, when the king's like, "Well, if I wanted to honor somebody, you know, what should I do?" And immediately thinks, "Well, who do you want to honor? Who else more could than it be? Me? Right, it has to be me." And and that's one of his fatal flaws is that yes. he's and that's also about individualism. Like it's also about what you said before, hyper pieces because it's like I'm I'm the piece. I'm that's all there is. It's me, and 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 that also leads to sociopathness. Yeah. When you you don't see where the other is, you're able to completely you know kill people, six million people, and put them in gas chambers because they're not anything. You know what the visual emblem of the postmodern era is for me? It's not even as dramatic as what you said. It's it's the people walking around with the shades on and the earbuds in. And and just you're maybe a bit part in their movie, right? That I, I feel in many ways that what postmodernism postmodernism is 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 um, we've created a conceptual technical framework to hold our loneliness, something which was never possible before. Mm. We didn't imagine ourselves as individuals, and we didn't have the technology to actually live in our own movies. And now we've actually 
created a, a philosophical and a technical framework to hold that loneliness, and it's eating us alive. Modernity is tricky, and um, modernity was fine. Post modernity, but or or uh, it's really hyper modernity. What's going on with you know? Post modernity is a philosophical framework, but I'm also talking about the technological reality. No, I would actually push back on that. Post modernity is primarily a culture. Okay, that's that's what that's what I meant. I meant to no, say but that the technology is part and parcel. Of it. The iPhone is a postmodern product. Is it? Yes. Why is that? Because it allows you to exist alone in a whole world. I mean, that's one way of saying it. Another way of saying it, it's a, it's a hyperconnectivity. Yes, but notice that hyperconnectivity is characterized by superficiality, by 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 social media streams, which really reflect your own inner workings. I mean, you know, you've seen the cartoon of the guy who dies and he, he's buried alone, <laughs> and the caption is, "But he had three thousand friends on Facebook." <laughs> I don't know. I I, I I'm. I, I, of course, there's an aspect that is 100% true about that. I think there's also another aspect. I think there's there's more people connecting in, in, in different ways to it. First thing, there's more knowledge, and that's amazing. My kids just love the fact that the internet has knowledge. Yeah, it's incredible. And and for my wife, I see that she is a person who really, as a, as a person born into this generation, a native, she has ways of connecting with people on Facebook that are more easy and natural for her than... Than, than, than you know, talking on the phone. I've got. A, I know a lot of people who don't like to talk on the phone. It I don't like to talk them. on the phone. Right. I, I like to talk on the phone. I can have an. Uh, you know. I, I even. I can. I can clean something, wash dishes, and call my friends and talk for a long time. I like that. Uh, but but people today like email or or Facebook, and my wife will ask questions of this virtual community, mm-hmm. and they'll return answers to her, and it's like, no, listen, everything has a redeeming side. Right. My point was not that it, these technologies are intrinsically evil. That's not my point. My point is is that the hallmark of what it is to be alone together is in many ways the image of, of the challenge of the postmodern world. And that's what we've said a few times on the show is that Shabbat is such a key thing at this time. It's, it's, it's really uh, amazing to me how much Shabbat is more in need today than ever before. You would have thought that in the you know, agrarian culture, if people are tired, they, their body needs to rest, but now our mind is tired and, needs, and it needs to be with the kids and be with ourselves. You need to localize. It's, it's really an amazing thing. It's, it's, an, it's an amazing thing. And I really think that the next big revolution that Israel is going to send out to the world is not the startup nation, but the power down nation. Right, you mentioned that. Like the power down idea. nation. It's just like we are going to be the people who also know how to turn off. I have a dream. That dream is that is that Tel Aviv will be the first Shomer Shabbos city. Okay, just imagine everybody in Tel Aviv just being like, okay, that's a day off. We're closing the phones. We're turning off the cars. Just people out in the streets walking around right. talking. Yoga, Shmon Esra in the park, whatever yeah. it is. That, that's that, a beautiful that's image. The dream. Okay, so speaking of, of uh, uh, this is a good segue. Speaking of, and you are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show, Land of Is- thelandofisrael.com. Rabbi Mike Ford joins me on Spiritual Cafe. Um, uh, and it is uh, it is a wintry, beautiful wintry day here in Yerushalayim. And is it is not a bad day outside. Oh, that's it awesome. is right. It is not. What do they else do they call it? Uh, what other negative terms do people have? It's What's nasty it? yeah, weather. It's nasty weather out nasty there. Nasty weather. Yeah. <laughs> we do not say that in the land of Israel. Every drop of blessing. Yeah, right, we love it. Uh, and um, we were talking about um, Shabbat. Talking about Shabbat, we were talking about also, you know, the, the uh, kind of a world where where you're, the modern world is. Everybody's talking about it. It's just too. It's almost too busy. You you can't keep up with it. You and I both suffer from that as well, and maybe that's a smidgen, 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 smidgen of what uh, Moses was dealing with when he was judging the people 
throughout the day. And his father-in-law comes into town, Jethro, and says, what is it that you're doing, boy? Okay. <laughs> this is not going to work. <laughs> and you got you got this this you got these Jews, you know, and they're doing their Torah thing. Like you're not going to tell us how to do it. And then this like Goy, this Gentile, comes in, and he, and of course he's a super learned Gentile, and he's an awesome, and he's so so awesome that the Torah portion will be named after him. And he's like Moses, what is it that you're doing? He's like, well, I'm judging the people. People come to me. He's like, you are going to train wreck you're gonna train wreck you're gonna fall apart and you'll take them all w- down with you <laughs> right you're a workaholic and you're gonna take the whole project down with you this ain't, this ain't gonna work what you gotta do is you gotta deputize you gotta deputize boy that's what you gotta do he's been s- spending time with the governor <laughs> you gotta deputize the I just people like when god changes from the british <laughs> to the southern accents personally any case so so jethro says to him you you got it you've got it you've got to empower other leaders and create a system where 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 the there's going to be judges of of thousands and hundreds and tens and they're going to kind of divide down and they're going to and you're going to have a like what what the Americans have in the in the system of the courts which is it's going to go from lower courts to upper yep. courts and if there's a problem there's going to be appellate you know procedures and it's going to go all the way up to you you got to deal with the with the big matters no that this is the first case I'm aware of where someone says listen you got to build on program and not on personality <laughs> right, you're not going to be around forever, Moshe. You're Oof. making the people dependent upon you. But I, in that, I think it's it's critical to understand that there is a parallel between Moshe and the people and God and the people. In that, is that it, it, you know God has been leading. He's been telling people exactly what to do through Moshe. Go left, turn here, follow that pillar of cloud. You want to know where you're headed? And now, what's about to happen at Sinai? God says, "Well, I'm going to actually hand over the program to you." And it's true. For a few generations, quite a bit more time. In fact, there'll be prophets, but those prophets actually can't change the program. They're going to have to work within it. And then, you know what's going to happen even down the line? Keep coming back to Purim. There's going to be a point at which God says, I'm going to hide my face. And now, we're going to run on program. We'll see if this can really work. And there's a medrash that Rabbi Tendler likes to quote often, which says, Halavai, like, it should only be that they, could, they would leave me but keep my Torah. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Because if you think about it, what we mean when we say, what's the problem with running something on personality? Sometimes it's great. I mean, uh, just, just for a second, I just want to say, what, you're st- what we're talking about right now, mm-hmm. I- imagine it also in the context of the opposite. Um, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings here, but I, j- I do want to make the point, which is in Christianity, it's the opposite. Forget the program. Embrace the, the, personality. the personality. Don't worry about the program. You're just the faith and the feeling and the dude and believe and that's it. And And Judaism kind of says the opposite, like... Okay, you got the big guys and, and even God himself, that's good. But, but remember the program. Remember the Torah. Remember the commandments because they are wise in themselves. They're wise in themselves and they come, as the Chachamim say, right? they come to purify you as a creature. Meaning the, the people often perceive the commandments as what we, we call extrinsic law. It came from outside. Right? I mean, you know, you on yourself, you're just a lump of nothing at best. But don't worry. I've given you the commandments, so now we can whip you into shape. Whereas, you really see in the Torah of our, our master and teacher of Cook that, well, no, the reality is you are exactly what you need to be, but not yet. That there's a process that you need to go through in the, in the mitzvot are there to help you to, to purify, sanctify, bring from you know, um, potential to actual, all those processes which, leaving law and religion aside, people recognize are what amounts to growth. 
right? And, and, and that is, I believe, exactly why first Yitro points out to Moshe, meaning, hey, this is a human phenomenon. This didn't have to even do with God. Yitro's saying, I've been around. <laughs> like, I know how humanity works, and you're doing it wrong. Right, Moshe. so he's, but that's a very important thing, what you're saying, which is he's coming saying, I've got life experience in the human sphere. Yes. I mean, but here's my question. Like, you're a Moses, or you're the Jewish people, and you're like, what does this guy know? What does he know, right? Yeah. Right? And what is, he's coming from the outside, and he's telling Moses, Moses is getting the Torah from God, you know, it took him out of Egypt, and Moses is like, you're right. Yeah. What, what, and I, I'm always wondering about that point. Like, like, first thing, awesome father-in-law action, you know, yeah. telling you, you know, what you got to do. Uh, but... But he accepts that, and like, and, and and there's a kind of question to me, which is, well, where was God in this? Didn't God want to tell him how to do it right? No, there needed to be this 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 uh, uh, um, harmonization with the human experience. It had to be a human thing. So this is an important question, and it goes to the heart of the understanding of the dramatic declaration of who Am Yisrael has become, which is the introduction to the giving of the Torah. Mamlechet koanim v'goy kadosh. Right, a nation. I'll just leave the standard translation. We'll pick it in a second. A nation of priests and a holy people, you know. But the real sort of um, narrative question here is: is why are we seeing this scene now? You know, Rashi, the classic commentator, in the footsteps of our sages, say, "Well, yeah, this whole intro scene with 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 uh, Yitro and him coming and telling Moshe, this actually happens after Yom Kippur. This is this is eighty days after Sinai." Why did the Torah put it here? Okay, so it's a question. So the answer I would give is because you need to understand through the interaction between Moshe and Yitro, why is God giving us the Torah in the first place? What does it mean to be mamlechet kohanim? What's a kohen? A priest. Well, right, but I would translate it as minister. minister. First of all, I think it's actually more accurate since right. even Rashi there brings the fact that, that, le, that le, lechahen, even today, we use in modern Hebrew, is to serve as a, as a as a minister of state or something, right? But what he di- you could say, he serves as right, right, right. Um, and in that sense, the English word minister is, I think, a little bit more nuanced than priest because it's the sense that you could look at the priest as as above the people. You know, if Moshe had heard Yitro and said, right. "Listen, man, you, you, who are you talking you're, you're to? You're an upper crust or upper class. You know, who are you talking to? I not only did I sit in the palace of." Of Pharaoh. Not only did God Himself speak to me, not only did I split the Red Sea, right. right? But I just got the Torah straight from God. You were there? No? Yes? Thank you. Why are you giving me advice? But Moshe understands. And why did God do all that? To transform the world. Yitro is the purpose of this story. And it, meaning, if the Torah remains with the children of Israel in the wilderness, and as some sort of elitist project of of uh, of, uh, of a group of people now who are going to sit on a mountaintop and become perfect, as opposed to an individual, but just a group of people, then it has failed. Yitro represents the whole purpose of the Torah, which is now God says, "I've given you my gift; take it to the world, lechahen, to to serve in that capacity." You're, the Jewish people are a type of civil servant. We are God's people in the world were put here to push the project forward right and and you, and but the thing is and as and this comes back to this program versus personality is you can't push the project forward if you don't actually know the people whom you're serving and not only know them as some sort of like superior oh you are the raw material for my project Yidro comes and says oh you you got the torah great now i'm in the voice of all of humanity i'm going to tell you something you need to understand what it is to be human you understand what it is to be successful as a human being. And, and I'm going to teach you this. And Moshe got it, of course, 
like that. And, he, and it says that he accepted the words of, of Jethro. Yeah. You know, as he would like accept the word of God, he, 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 he said, okay, you're right. And I think, I think there's also, the, the, it, where I went to school at Yeshiva University, there was always the phrase Torumada. Right. There's the, there's the Torah and there's the science, and those things go together. There's an element of social science here yeah. that, that Jethro says, you trust system, here's how it works. Here's, here's, here's how the world is going to work. So uh, th- this is accepted, and now uh, we're going to go to, we're going to shift gears, uh, and that gear is... Um, shifting to 10th gear. We're shifting to 10th gear. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> and there's going to be a little preamble that says, God's gonna, uh, God says, I took you out of Egypt on wings of eagles. I brought you to this mountain, basically, and you are going to be a mamlechet kaonim v'goy kadosha, a kingdom of ministers and a holy nation. By the way, notice that the word goy is not a negative term. It's, it means nation. Uh, but I've always explained to people that there's two ways of saying, uh, uh, using that word in Hebrew. One is to say goyim. That's them, the Gentiles who have been bad to us. Goyim. That's the nations who we are here to serve. Who we are here to serve, or certainly help 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 reach a higher height, minister well, on. We're to serving. We're serving God, right. but we're serving God through our relationship with the world. Right. Right. Absolutely. And now there's going to be this list of ten, these ten commandments. The ten commandments are are you know they're the the movies called the ten commandments. It doesn't get bigger than this. Right. It's it's the ten commandments. I I don't know what to say. <laughs> uh, <what> I said. <laughs> right. But 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 I find that a not everybody even knows the ten commandments and b that th- what are the ten commandments? Are they some kind of chapter headings for the rest of the Torah? Are they their own thing that if you gotta remember anything, remember the ten commandments? Like that's the the basics that you teach the kids. Um, you know, and they also have like this like shape. It's like they, they come on, you know, they, they tablets, tablets by the hand of God. Right. And they're the double tablets. And, you know, and there's a lot of talk about about in the Midrashim that that one relates to six and two relates to to seven, meaning to say that they're side by side for a reason. The first five are the ones that are between man and God. Also, the, the fifth one is weird because it's a relationship with the parents, and yet it's somehow between man and God. And then the, 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 the latter six to ten are the, the ones that deal between man and mankind, man and womankind. Um, and and what, what are we supposed to make out of these Ten Commandments? What are they? It doesn't, it doesn't often say in the rest of the Torah, you know, this commandment that I'm about to give you is uh, a subset of commandment number two, and this is, this is you know, article B. You, you don't exactly understand on the face of it what these Ten Commandments represent, what is their specific role. However, you know they're the Ten Commandments. Well, and part of that is because it leverages the power of the narrative, meaning the whole flow, basically since creation, has been moving toward this point, right? I mean, I mean the unfolding of everything in Breshit and then individuals who enter into relationship with God, the descent into Egypt. This is the main show. This is it. This is where we've been headed, right? right? And, and so it does beg this question, which has been a, a, a tremendously challenging theological question throughout the history of Am Yisrael of how to relate because there are 613 commandments. I just want to strengthen your point though that, that remember when we met when Moses meets God he says to him and your sign shall be that you will serve God on this mountain. Yes. yes. You will come back here. Yes. And you know it used to be that the Ten Commandments were part of the liturgy and they were taken out because of some of the very fears that you mentioned lest people come to think like you said well okay as long as you do these it's fine. Right? Or these are only ones that you really need to know. This is the this is the main piece, etc. Right. Um, and yet, just from a narrative standpoint, it's hard to avoid that. I mean, there are many 
amazing attempts. Rav Sadi Gaon in the 10th century wrote a work connecting every single one of the other commandments of the Torah back into the Ten Commandments, figuring out how they were indeed chapter headings, as you as you said so nicely. Um, what, what are you going to say? The uh, Part of it to me, actually... It's important to note that, that the Ten Commandments appears twice in the Torah. For sure. And they're the same, yet you know, slightly different. That makes you... And if, you, if you've never done it, I'm going to ask our listeners to, to open up Word, their whatever word processor you use, put it in column format, and then cut and paste the two sets of the, cam- the commandments next to it and look at them. Look, it's very, there's a deep wisdom to be gained on where they match and where they diverge. Right. And, but they are the same time commandments. Absolutely. But they have different nuances. Most of the nuances also have to do with the why as opposed to the what. Mm-hmm. Right. But I, I, I want to I maybe answer a little bit of your question because I think part of the reason these commandments stand out is because the, all the momentum, all the narrative flow, as I said, the drama, and not just narrative in the sense of the story, but the people's experience in reality, right, needed something which could be held. It needed something which could be held, and there's something very powerful in the human consciousness about the number 10. Meaning every halakhic authority since Moshe has said very clearly, listen, there's no intrinsic difference between, you know, thou shalt not steal in the Ten Commandments and don't boil a calf in its mother's milk. Right? Each one comes from God through the Torah. But in, in the entry into relationship is as kind of as a, like, you know, as a parent. We start with our kids and we tell them like, the certain things you need to know. And it's not always the most important things. Because, of course, what do you teach your children first? What they can grasp. And, and there's something powerful about that number 10 in terms of our capacity to hold. And I really think that that's what it is. It's obviously very important, but, but they're, they're really what we could hold in that moment. Mm. So the fir- speaking of holding it, um, the first two commandments are coming direct from God. It, without a filter, without the Moses filter. Yeah. And it's good and it's bad because you really get the basis of it all, which is I am God. And which thou is the shall- one that people usually miss as a commandment. Oh, did they? Yeah. That really? is a separate commandment, yeah. People usually uh, think oh. you shall be an, there should be no other gods before me is the first. R- right. I, well, well, I was going to get to this point in a second, but the, 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 the first two commandments, I am God, and then the second one, which is thou should not have other gods before me, if you were not a discerning uh, a Jew with, with a lot of uh, a Torah background, you would have thought it's one commandment. Right. You would have re- read it one because it's actually written as one. Yes. It's written as one commandment. Uh, in fact, the Ten Commandments visually are different than they are the way we understand them. The last two commandments are a double of, of not coveting. Visually speaking, the Ten Commandments are two do not covets, and the first one being a, a, a combination of I am God, so don't have any other gods before me. But no, we kind of lop off one of the do not covets, and we separate out the the first two and say one is I am God. And also you should know, and this is specifically for Jews, be very, very, very careful about not serving anything else but God. Mm-hmm. And you say, you can actually believe that God is one, but you could still serve another God. It could be money, it could be strength, it could be a million other things. Like, I, I demand of you Jewish people to be uh, um, scrupulous, a little bit nutty, a little OCD on not serving other gods. That's like a big Jewish thing. You know, and that's, that's of course Mordechai. With with like he's not going to bow down like that. I don't do that. Like Jews don't do that. I don't do that. Um, and you'll hear that throughout history. Like I don't bow down. Like I do not. No, you hear it throughout history. It generally is the turning points, right? The the places in which 
the Jews just said, you know, I know everybody's doing that. I know there might be a way I can frame this that it's not bowing down to another god. But no, no, it's Mordechai. It's the Maccabees, right? It's in many other instances. I don't want to drag us through history, but I think in many ways that that it's always the driver of of, of the critical moments. Mm-hmm. And that's Abraham, right? Oh, sure. That's that's the that's that's an Abrahamic moment. Who's that like is the Abrahamic right? Moment. He's like no. <laughs> He's like, there, there is nothing else. <laughs> Uh, so that's a fascinating thing. So, so uh, those two first commandments. Um, the problem with them, though, is that they're like a nuclear explosion. <laughs> when God's voice is heard, it's like ba boom, and you're just you're just. Uh, the Medrash says they were blown back a hundred miles. Their souls left them. They were they were just they they, they were just uh, eviscerated. It took angels to drag them back, right? <laughs> and then the, then and then they're like, oh man, that was tough. That was rough. I'm, I'm back. And then he's like, "Thou shalt not have other gods before you." Boom! And they're just like all thrown back a hundred miles, and and the whole thing happens again. Then they come to Moses, they're like, "Do you, do you mind if you would tell us the rest of the commandments? Because this nuclear explosion thing, it's like it's really weighing. It's it's hard. It's hard to deal with." Um, and so the first two commandments, the very very basis, nobody else told it. It was unfiltered. It was really unfiltered. It was like Paul Mall cigarettes. It was just too strong. Okay? I just remember my dad used to smoke Paul Mall unfiltered. Uh, it was just it was just straight up. Uh, the rest of the commandments are going to have that Moses filter. It's going to come down a little less um, harsh, but also filtered. Right? You know, listen, there's a powerful truth in what you're saying in that that. I am the Lord your God and you shall have no other gods is establishing the basis for the relationship. Who are you relating to? I am. Right? And by the way, this is an exclusive relationship. Right? Because it's not, otherwise it's not actually a relationship. Right? And after that comes religion. I mean, there's relationship and then there's religion. The people say, listen, I don't know if I can stand naked before God. Like, that's just like, that's just too much for me. I accept that that's what's happening, but Moses, help us out. And, and that's where the evolutionary element of the Torah comes in and says, yeah, that actually, they can't handle it. And, and so therefore, we're going to give you again these commandments that will refine you to the point where you can then stand before God. Right, and that's why the prophets have that wonderful vision you see in the book of, of Joel, of Yoel, right? That that God will one day is gonna just pour out his spirit on all flesh. That we'll all be prophets. Not not on the level of Moshe, but but in the sense that that and and the mitzvah will still be the mitzvah because of course there'll always be a place to refine ourselves. But the relationship will actually be based on a on a level in which we can stand before God. Seeing God and the Torah will say later, like Mankind cannot see God face to face. True. Uh, with full vision. And that's the first two commandments are really an element of, of people dying when God reveals himself fully. And it doesn't mean that they die because they get killed. It just means existence stops having that separation that you were talking about in the beginning of the show. Yeah. When you see full revelations, so therefore that, that's it. You kind of go back to the source. Yes. Uh, the third uh, commandment is part of this, tri- I would call it a triad, where the first one we said is, I am Hashem, your God. second one, don't have other gods before me. And now another thing about that relationship, which is, don't use my name in vain. Do not take my name in vain. I've given you my name. You can't see my face totally, but I've given you my name. You're using it in this world. It's a passport. It's your ID card. Do not, do not falsify it. Do not use it. Do not give it away. Do not, do not use it falsely. It, watch it. Watch my honor. Uh, watch your mouth. Um, take me seriously. Take me seriously and take yourself seriously. I mean, you remember that it's speech in the rabbinic mind, and I really believe 
in general, even in the academic world, which defines us as human. Right. And what this is, is an assertion that that speech is, of course, built on names. This is the first thing we see Adam, the first man doing in the Garden of Eden. It's the first thing he does. God brings all the animals before him and he names them. And God creates the world through speech. And God creates the world through speech. So what he's saying is, listen, I've given you my name. It is the ultimate expression of the power of speech. And you will destroy the world. All the trees might be left standing. The sea level might not rise. The glaciers could be as hunky-dory ice as you want. You destroy this, and you will destroy the world. Mm. So that just gives us also a sense that we should all remember if there's a lesson from today's show, the mouth. The mouth is a very powerful thing. I mean, think about what the world would be like if actually every time someone said something, you assume they were bound by what they said because they really meant it. It would be a fundamentally different place. First of all, there would be a lot less noise because people wouldn't open their mouths to say most of the things they say. And second of all, just the ability to function. You know, most of the, um, the rabbinic world was built on the power of oaths. Right? I'm, I'm teaching right now medieval Spain in my history class, and, and, and the idea that you would bind a person with an oath meant, well, for, okay, now we know. We're gonna, I'm a tax assessor. I want to know how much tax you owe. I, I'm just going to get you to stand up in court and swear to me what your possessions are. And then everyone assumes, of course, you would never swear falsely, so now we can know exactly how much tax is going to pay. And in the, 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 the skepticism and the cynicism, that, which are really the tools of Amalek, that have crept into our world has made our speech to some degree meaningless. Right. Because, because if you take God's name falsely, that also opens the, the, the box once for just lying. Yeah, once you do that, then it's all downhill. Right. I mean, you'll willing to do anything then. Right. So that's, that's commandment number three. Commandment number four is, of course, the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath to, to, keep it, to sanctify it. Oh, let it be soon. Right. And, and uh, six days work. Seventh day is for Shem your God. Don't do any work. You and your son and your daughter, your slave and your, and your handmaiden and your, and your uh, cattle and uh, the proselyte that is in your gates. God created the world in six days. And, and, and therefore God, and he blessed, and he rested on the seventh, and he blessed it, and, and, he, and he sanctified it. This is called, uh, if you, um, if you, um, wait, uh, uh, commandment number, this is commandment number four. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, commandment number. Um, oh gosh, you want me to work that out in my brain? That's going to be, it'll be Nine. Right, number nine. No, that's nine. That's right. It's it's. Uh, um, I remember. I learned a fantastic thing. It's oh, here it is. It's lota neberecha et sheker. Do not right. Don't be a false witness. Do not be a false witness against your brother. The Jewish people are a witness. Yes. To godliness by keeping the Sabbath. That's yeah, explicit in a, a number of verses. Right. That that is. We are we are bearing witness to God through the Sabbath. You are bearing false witness against me when you don't keep the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath, and you're bearing witness to, to to God's creation of the world, and that really is the 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 out of all the commandments, that's like the most proactive out of the Ten Commandments. That's the one that like keep the Sabbath. I want you to do this. I mean, and you think about it, your your point about like sociology with 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 Yitro and social science. This is nation building, right? Like the idea of a people who one right. day out of the week are going to cease all, so to speak, productive work. And, and you know, just think about what happened to Orthodox Jews in America in the 50s, right? Who, who, many of whom, to their great sorrow and pain, were forced to work on Shabbat in order to feed themselves and their families. And how a whole new culture emerged when they were able to actually insist on their right not to work. 
You know, I really dream. I, I dream of that day, as you mentioned, that this country, that Shabbat becomes an intrinsic. It is a, a powerful part of the rhythm, but like on a real level, not through yeah. through like forced laws of people who are going to complain about their places of in, entertainment being shut down, but that there's a deep desire to rest I would rest make together. one law, though. I would like to see the old city of Jerusalem be a car, no car driving on Shabbat. I, I would love to zone. see all the cars no, shut but down. Like, but like even Gentiles who are allowed to, to, to or you know, Arabs, whoever, who can, I think that it should be a no car zone. By the way, it's not so clear to me that, that it's true that Gentiles, are once we actually have responsibility, are able to drive their cars. Depends on how you read that verse. You translated there as proselyte, who's in your gates. But ger, the meaning of ger is, is um, open to a lot of interpretation. It could be the sojourner. Yeah. Could the be person the who lives with That's you. right. There's a lot of there's a lot of times where it means sojourner. But in any case, I just think that the, 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 the if the old city of Jerusalem, this thing that's surrounded by walls, would be a no car zone that you could come to Jerusalem and really experience a full Shabbat, it'll be like closed off. And if you're ever in a town, by the way, that has no cars driving on Shabbat, you could really feel it. It's a completely uh, different experience. Right. And and our holy city Jerusalem is not that city today. No. Uh, and and that's that's it's painful. My good friend Alex Treman, who lives close by here, says you know he he has to cross Derech Hebron. Uh, this big street over here on Shabbat to get to his to his uh, to his uh, place of pl- place of place of prayer, and he says, you know, look, uh, my kids see that there's no real Shabbat in Yerushalayim. That's oh. a painful thing. That's a painful thing. You when you live in a in Beit El, for example, where I lived, uh, or well, especially a place like Beit El, which is really an all Jewish, all Orthodox town. And Shabbat comes around. It's like wow, you can really, really feel it. Yeah, there's nothing like it. <clears throat> It's absolutely magical. Okay, uh, the fifth commandment is honor uh, your parents, uh, uh, honor your father and mother, um, and it's in the list of the um, between man and God uh, side of the Ten Commandments, and it also says specifically that it lengthens days. It will lengthen days uh, on the land that God gives to you. Mm-hmm. Honoring your parents. I mean, on the simple level, it's it's uh, uh, you know it's it's something very honoring your parents is like. Like, you wouldn't have thought that you needed that as a commandment. You, you wouldn't have thought so. You would have thought, I don't know. I, I, guess, I guess what it is is, I guess what it is, I'm, I'm thinking like you here for a second now, mm-hmm. for, that, that you're born from your mother's womb and you could easily believe that now you're totally separated. Yep. Just like God created us and we could believe that we're totally independent of him. Yeah, I hear that. I mean, there's another piece. Which is, you know, I think about this with my own children, is that no one sees our flaws like our children. <laughs> you know, it's everybody so else, you get to present some level <laughs> of your best self without even cynicism. No, like, you know, when I go into a classroom, I'm not going to go in there and, and, and lose my temper. I don't have any baggage with these people, you know. And even if I do, it's a, it's a limited setting. They're not catching me at 12 in the morning, cleaning up poop and all right. that kind of stuff. You know, and, and so on some level, I think it's very natural that your children are commanded to honor you because they are the ones who also have to hold your flaws. Right. And I think one of the reasons it ends up on the side of between humanity and God is because I, we look at the world and, and we say, you know what? And I hear this from people, right? Either there's no God or there's no God I want to have anything to do with. Look at the world. Look at the world. It's a mess. All God's flaws just just spilling out all over the place. And, and, and in the same way... Why do I want my children to honor me? Not because I need it. I mean, I do. It's also true. That, but that's not why they need to do it. It's because by looking at me and my flawed self and still giving me honor, they will be able to do two things. They'll be able to look at a broken world 
and still honor God. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, they will be able to look at themselves yes. and, and honor that which they are not yet. Right. Many times you can tell your kids, uh, look, like you, you'll tell your kids, like you have to concentrate or do your homework. You say, I have the same hard time as you. I'm also a person with flaws and I'm, and yep. I'm going to pass on to you how to cope with those flaws and how to maximize this world. I'll oftentimes tell the kids, I'm like, look, I'll say to them, like, it's not that I'm, I need that my job is to raise you strong. I, I have to teach you. That's why I'm telling you these things. It's not because I, I feel like bugging you or something like that. That's just my I have job. some need to control you. Right. I don't. I don't have a need to control you. Although, Wait till they're teenagers. By the way, by the way, another thing is that is that sometimes you do have to also know how to let go. Like you, you can't. Sometimes. Yeah. You're just like I. I'm not. I. You know. You have been. You are not really my child. You're really a, a soul that. God. Came, you're a soul that came to this world. I didn't create these bodies. I. I even though that was maybe made inside of me. I, I didn't. Right. I didn't. I wasn't the person. Who, I wasn't the thing that created the the system that knows how to do this. I don't know how to put a soul in a body. I don't know how to make your eyeball. <laughs> I didn't right. do anything. So I'm just here, kind of as a as a a surrogate, a kind yeah, of agent, uh, an agent, right? I'm an agent of 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 a completely different, you know, bigger force than me. And therefore, you n- you don't belong to me. This this child does not belong to me. It's my child. I'm responsible for it, but I don't own it. And it has its own life trajectory. I mean, you just summed up the entire challenge of parenting in that, is that how do I take responsibility without claiming ownership? <laughs> that's pretty tricky. Yeah. That's pretty tricky. But that's exactly how you do it. Yeah. By, by saying those phrases. All right. Um, and um, uh, uh, I, remember, I remember that there's a famous story of Elisha ben Abuya, who that's uh, a person who became an apostate. And he saw, the, the story goes that he saw... He saw a child going up on a ladder, shooing away the mother bird at the behest of his father. At the behest of his father, and then and then the the, the ladder cracks. The kid falls, breaks his neck, and dies. And yet, those two commandments are the ones that say that life will be lengthened. And and uh, he says there is no judge. There is no judgment. There is no judge. But but I've I always wanted to say to him like, and he, of course, Alicia Benboy was one of the greatest scholars. Was one of the time. masters of the Mishnah. Right. I just want to say to him like. Like from my simple, ignorant smallness, just say to him, that was about a nation, not about individuals. Our nation that keeps that keeps honoring its father and its mother, our nation that, that shows kindness to animals and understands also uh, conservation, and that's part of why you have to show away the mother bird. As a nation, like not on the individual level, on the individual cells, things things can happen. But as a nation, if we keep these things, it will it will it will keep us going forever. Yeah, and in that, I mean, I don't think it's irrelevant to the individual, but but um, when I struggle with these things, or when I speak to students, friends, you know, loved ones who struggle with these things, it's always important to keep in mind that that life is never simple, right? The fact that the Torah says, "and you will live long in the land," is not the only thing operating in that moment, right? There are layers upon layers, and one of those layers that the sages, at least, are willing to recognize is "yesh nispeh below mishpat." There are people who die without any reason. Right, as a good friend of mine once said, I'm not afraid of the bullet with my name on it. I'm afraid of the one that says, to whom it may concern. <laughs> you know? <laughs> who said um, that? <laughs> I, I don't even remember who said it to me at this, this point. But it's not. I, I always say that because it wasn't me that made it up. So, um, <laughs> No, it's, it, but it's true because what's the fear there? The fear is not listening. If, if God has decided that my time is done, then I hope, I hope and pray that I will accomplish that which I need to do. 
But what's the greatest fear in life that I won't have accomplished that? And that is that element of life, which is that there is a piece of life which is not reflective of justice, especially on the individual level. It's, it's sometimes easier to raise it up to the national level and say, and I often do this in my struggles with what's happening in my own life. And I look at my life and say, gosh, my, my grandparents, well, my grandfather survived, but most of his brothers and sisters died in the ovens of Europe. Right? And here I am, I've got five children growing in the land of Israel. If you had asked any person along that arc of uh, sort of like between he and I where things headed, particularly toward the, his end of things, they'd have said, oh, this is, this is it. It's over. It's terrible. So it's very important to remember that what you're speaking about, the scale at which you examine questions, fundamentally changes the answers you get. Uh, in the interest of time, we've got to go through the next five commandments. And the first one, these are staccato. Very quick, it just says to you, uh, rem- remember a covenant. Uh, remember uh, c- commandment number one: I am God. The matching one is: don't murder, do not murder, right? And see the godliness in the other person. See that it's, I created the world. It's the basis of the truth that is in humanistic culture: that there is the divine in humanity, and therefore it deserves to be elevated almost all the way to the top of the values. Number two is lotinaf. Do not. Um, What's the English word? Uh, indulge in adultery. Adultery. I don't know, adultery. Ad- I don't, I don't right. know what the verb form would be. R- right. Uh, Adulterate. Right, uh, and and this means eshet ish. This means uh, do not do, do not do not be adulterous with somebody else's wife. And that's why it's the parallel of you shall have no other gods. Is that what it is to have an intimate, exclusive relationship? Is to be committed without allowance for other. There's a lot that could be said about that, and sadly, in a in a world that's also hypersexualized in in television and, and basically everything is sold to us through through sexualization, um, it's it's a it, it undermines this way, and and I think that that also all of us, I think that society doesn't try to keep this commandment uh, by by it. it the, the Islamic world, on the face of it, the way they dress and all that, it seems like it's very concerned with this thing. Um, but it's to the point of repression, um, and and it, it kind of it's also a, a, like an, a shame culture and all that, um, an honor shame culture. But but the idea that that we should be naturally that we have attractions to different things and that we should be uh, we should have um, what's it called uh, uh, modesty modesty in order also not to create that 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 feeling in in others in order to to keep relationships in the right framework. Uh, I, I remember I once bumped into a man who told me, we used to swim in, a religious man told me, we used to swim in mixed beaches. We would just naturally sit families far away from one another, give each other space. And that's the way we did it. We didn't have separate beaches. We didn't need that. We just had a natural sense that, that we wanted to, to keep our family together. Yeah, it is part of this hypersexualization of of our culture. And the religious world has just attempted to, you know, go... 100 degrees, 180 degrees in the opposite direction. And I think it has not served the purpose. I think that you have to remember that, that znut, right, the idea of, of, of um, harlotry, which is a great biblical term, which is applied both in our failures with our relationship with God and also our failures in our relationship to, to, uh, to our committed other, right, um, it really can be defined as unfaithful desire. The problem is not desire. Desire is a healthy, important part of human existence. The problem is when that desire is serving me and not serving relationship. That's when it becomes unfaithful. Um, and we we match that up with uh, with thou should not have other gods. You see the connection there. Uh, Lo tignov, do not steal, and matches up with uh, do not take my name in vain. 
right? You don't, don't steal something that's not yours. My name isn't around to play with. And don't steal in the case of the steal also means do not kidnap. That's right. The kidnapping is the, is the main aspect of because you, know. because you take away the independent existence of another human being. In the same way, by taking God's name out of its status as the foundation on which all communication and honesty and integrity are meant to be built, well, then you rob language of its, its very worth. Uh, and then, um, so we were at number four. No, 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 no. That no, I'm sorry. That was number three. Now we're lotane bereecha ed sheker, which means do not bear false witness against against your uh, against your your brother. We talked about how the Sabbath is is something that we are witnessing to uh, unto God and and also uh, the the God's existence and and not to not. To, it's it's the it's the undermining of society if if we're liars about our brothers and sisters it's it's a different kind of relationship it's not just sexualized it's not murder it's not kidnapping but it's also like it's also just telling an untruth about another it's 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 also the root of lashon hara it's all it takes apart the fabric it just takes apart the fabric if if you if you really think not only that someone would fail to tell the truth but that someone would actively lie and finally uh, it says do not covet uh, the house of your your brother. Do not covet the wife of your brother, or his servant, or his hand servant, or his ox, or his donkey, and everything that he has. Don't don't covet. And uh, uh, that's that's the last. Don't don't covet is like don't don't. And the covet is a is a mind mitzvah. Yeah, it's one of the most powerful aspects of this mitzvah is that there is no action associated with it. Right. It's and, and no physical action. No physical action, and and even there's a bit of a debate when we get the restatement between um, right uh, to desire and to covet. It's a double statement there. Um, but to me, aside from the content specifically, what this teaches you is the depth of God's expectation of our ability for perfection. Is that 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 you can actually cultivate your inner states you're not just it's not just a matter of of okay i won't steal something but ah gosh the fact that i want it what am i supposed to do about that right and and on a deeper level i think is that what the torah is pushing us toward is living in a world of of histapkut of of feeling a deep satisfaction with what we have and not allowing our desire for what we don't have to be the driving force in our lives my daughter is learning the Ten, Commandment, Ten Commandments right now. She knows them by heart. It's a fantastic thing. to. She really knows them by heart. It's just great. I don't remember that we studied that way. Uh, certainly, I, I recommend everybody like memorize these things, go over it. Uh, at the end of the Torah portion, there's one last thing, which is if you're going to build a mizbeach, if you're going to build a, uh, a, a, a tabernacle, a, a um, what's it called? An offering. Altar. Uh, an altar. That's right. An altar. An offering thing. Offering ramp thing. thing with us. With horns. We, uh, you could do so, but, but, but don't, don't, you, you don't make it with a ramp so, so that your, your nakedness isn't, doesn't show um, and not, not like with stairs. And, uh, and you got to kind of don't, don't, don't hit it with, with metal. Uh, it's kind of a nonviolent. It's, you're not the boss. You're not the boss, and it says at the end, "Lot aleb b'malot al mizbechi." Don't go up on stairs to my to my altar, but also means don't go up with your like haughtiness, like with your like, look at me, mm-hmm. I'm I am now serving God. It's like no, you got to really serve God, and I th- I think over and over again in this Torah portion, we're really talking about unifying things and having a relationship uh, with God. That's 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 the kit and caboodle there. It is, and you know the altar, of course, is the place where heaven and earth meet in the sense of God's aspiration for what humanity can be 
in our belief, both in God and ourselves, that we can be so. And so that's why I think it's a powerful and fitting end to the revelation in Sinai. Rabbi Mike Foy, I want to thank you for joining me in Spiritual Cafe Extra Long uh, today a little bit because uh, the Ten Commandments is not something small to deal with. I want to thank you very much. I want to wish you a Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, Yishai. Folks, check out Rabbi Mike's uh, podcast on the Land of Israel Israel Network called The Jewish Story. Yeah, you can find me on Facebook too at Rav Mike. Rav Mike at Facebook, very easy to join. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and the rest, Yishai Fleischer. It's just that easy. And write me an email, Yishai at thelandofisrael.com, Yishai at thelandofisrael.com. Tell me something about the Ten Commandments in your life. Is it up here in your home? Send me a picture of that. Uh, tell me about how, how the Ten Commandments uh, has made an impact on you, If the movie, or uh, I don't know what. Something that has done something in your life uh, that is connected with the Ten Commandments, send me an email, Yishai at thelandofisrael.com. Rabbi Mike Foyer, thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Pardis.org.il, for uh, hosting us here. And thank you, God Almighty, for bringing us to Jerusalem and helping us send out the Torah from Tzio. Amen. All right, folks, more great stuff is on the way. Stay tuned, stay strong, stay connected, and shalom. The best place to stay in Jerusalem is at Windows of Jerusalem Vacation Apartments. Check out their website, www.windowsofjerusalem.com. They've got beautiful one, two, three, four bedroom apartments in the best location in the city center. The view, the location, plus the wonderful staff will truly make you feel at home in Jerusalem. Book your stay now at windowsofjerusalem.com. When I was growing up, I'd read the books in the second half of the Old Testament, and sometimes I would get a little bit lost in all those prophecies of Jeremiah, Isaiah, and so on. That all changed the day I stepped foot in the land of Israel. As I harvested grapes and olives and more on the mountains of Samaria, the words of the prophets came to life right before my very eyes. Today, you could be a part of this phenomenon too. I am Caleb Waller, and I'm inviting you to step into the pages of prophecy by joining us in Israel. Go to our website, that is hayovel.com, H-A-Y-O-V-E-L.com, to connect to this amazing opportunity.